Hey, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Proverbs 16. We are um, in a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. And I want to just start by reading this passage. And um, I'm going to go a little old school here. Could you stand with me? Chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bible, you're more than welcome to read it with me. Um, I will try not to drown out your voices. There's something really powerful about a faith family reading Scripture together. So let's read this together. The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. You may be seated. And, and as you're grabbing a seat, um, just a short little story to set things up here. Um, I was uh, at a coffee shop a few weeks ago, and um, I was going to get a refill with my, with my coffee cup, and um, I was passing by all these tables. And I don't know if you have this habit, um, but one of my habits is whenever I see someone reading a book or I see a book um, on, you know, on a table in a public place, I can't help but look and see what they're reading. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing I have. We all have our weird things. So I'm walking and I see this book lying on the table. Um, it, it really catches my eye. Very colorful um, cover on it. And I get a glimpse. And here's the title of it. The title of the book, The Mastery of Self. What a catchy title, right? The Mastery of Self. I was so caught by this this title and, and just how colorful the, the cover was. I went back to um, where I was sitting. I had my computer with me and I went on Amazon because you can find literally everything on Amazon, right? Um, don't even have to go to a bookstore. Go on Amazon. I look up this book. Sure enough, it's a New York Times bestselling author. And I start reading through um, the description of this book. And here's the last line of what this book is about. Remember, the, the title is the mastery of self. Here's the last line describing the book. We have forgotten that we are the architects of our own reality and we have the power to change our dream if we choose. Doesn't that sound like, oh man, I am, I've got this. And, and you know what? Here's the thing. If you go to a bookstore, they still exist. One of the largest sections you will find is what? The self-help. And you'll go to the self-help book, and you'll, the self-help section, and you'll pick up all these books, and you'll, you'll notice that there is this common theme. You are the architect of your life. You've got this. You know who determines your destiny? You do. You know who dictates your future? You do. You know who's in charge of your life? You do. You know what happens in the end and how you get there? You're the one in charge. You're the one in control. You've got this. And oh, by the way, if you buy my book for $26, I will tell you the five principles to being the mastery and the architect of your life. And, and they're bestsellers. And you read that, right? Let's, let's be honest, right? Like, that sounds pretty, yeah. I, 
I get to change my dream if I, if I choose. And that sounds really, really good and almost, not almost, really inspiring and really catchy until you read Proverbs 16. Because Proverbs 16, if, if I could summarize these five verses, it would be this. You actually don't dictate your destiny. God does. You actually don't determine your future. God does. You are not the architect of your reality, own reality. Did you catch that? The architect of your own reality. God is. If you read Proverbs 16, verse 33, I left that out, but since you're here, let's look at it. Verse 33, same chapter, last verse, listen to what it says. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision. Did you catch that? It's every decision is from the Lord. So casting lots, some of you might not know what that is. Um, in olden days, they would have like these dice or a die. Is that, my, is that right? Dice, die. It's one of those tricky words, right? Um, one, a die. And, and to cast lots was to roll the dice. So, okay, let's play a game here. We can have fun at church. Amen? Amen. Okay, I have a dice. There's six sides here. Everybody has to play. Just give me your number. You don't, don't shout it out. That's weird. Just, just give me your number. Everyone choose to put it up. Come on. Let's go. Let's play. Okay, here's the number. Okay, you have to do it. You can't wait till the dice rolls. Okay, don't be that person. All right, here I go. You're going to have to trust me. All right. Who has one? One. You have five in your hand. Mm, sorry. Too late. Mm-mm, too late. So here's the thing. What this verse is literally saying is that God had already determined that that was going to be a one. And remind me of your name. Nate. Nate. And God had already determined that Nate was going to guess one. Now, I want you to pay attention here. When you look at verse 33, it does not say, but it's, but it's foreknowledge is from the Lord. It doesn't say that God knew it was going to be a one it says that every decision is from the Lord. It is, it is that God had ordained that that was going to be a one. And if, if we could play this game all night long, and every time be, God would be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I said. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what I said. What we are encountering here is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Now, let me give you a definition. There's a few really good definitions out there. Here's one. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God teaches that God is Lord over all creation, even die and dice. That is that he has complete power and control and ordains everything that has happened, is happening, and will happen. Everything. Now, you're sitting there going, well, that, that's Proverbs. You know, Proverbs just be Proverbs, right? Well, what is Psalms 115.3? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. 
1 Samuel 2, 6 through 7. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. I had a slew of verses that was just going to just... James 1.13 is the last one I'll share, and it's an important one. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So here's what we need to see, is what Solomon, who wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs, what he is saying in chapter 16 is God is sovereign over absolutely every single thing, even the role of a dice, even the dropping of a pen. He is sovereign over everything and yet he does not sin. It's important. Now, okay. We are Americans. Right? Well, I'm assuming some of you might be Canadian, I don't know, but, or, or Hispanic or Mexican. Or, um, but most of us have that American my rights, my liberty, my freedom, right? And when we hear about the, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, that He is Lord over everything, even the roll of the dice, isn't there something inside of you that goes, well, oh, hold, uh, can we press pause, please? What about my free will? Wait, what? What about my will? What about my free will? If you're saying that God is sovereign over absolutely everything, past, present, future, over the roll of the dice, over every area of my life, what about my free will? I mean, is it, is it like 50-50? Like, you know, maybe God is sovereign 50% of the time and, and 50% of the time He's not sovereign. So, what a question, right? So, so how does God's sovereignty, how does that exist with your will or your freedom? Or is there one and not the other? Here's what I love about Proverbs 16, these five verses. It's, it's really a nine-verse passage, but for the sake of time, I had to really narrow it to these five Verses. Um, here's what we learn. Um, here's what it's going to teach us. The first verse specifically, it's going to teach us. Um, it's going to teach us how how we live in this tension between God's sovereignty and our will. And then the rest of the verses, I think, point us to the implications of this tension. Of God being sovereign over every single area of your life and my my will. And then how that how that how that's actually meant to change your life drastically. So let, let's just take this verse by verse. Verse one, it says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The plans of the heart belong to man. So here's the word picture. You have a man who is planning with all of his heart. The heart, right, is the very seat of the emotions. So to plan with all your heart, it is to plan with all your 
might. It's to plan with all your wisdom, with all your insight. So the word picture we're supposed to get at the beginning of verse 1 is this man, he's got the Excel sheets with the different tabs. He's got all of the statistics, those weird engineering software stuff that, you know, people are like that. I'm not like that at all. They've got all the sheets, all the statistics, and they're making their plans and they're charting and there's graphs involved. Here is a man who is planning to the T with all of his heart. And then the second part of this verse says, but, it's a big but, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So you have this man who's planning with every single ounce of energy, wisdom, knowledge, insight he has. But then there is the Lord who says, my very word, the very word of my tongue, that's the final answer. So here's what I think verse 1 does. I think it does two things. One, I think it brings clarity to what free will is not. And then the second thing it does is it, it shows us that there's a kind of tension here. So first of all, it shows us what free will is not. So whenever, you know, every now and again people will get in this conversation between God's sovereignty and, and free will. Here's the very first thing you always have to do. Define free will. Let's define our terms. What is free will? Because some people will say, well, free will is um, I have some sort of human responsibility. There's some sort of choice involved. And then there's others who say, well, free will is I, I have ultimate determination. I decide. It, at the end of the day, me, God, I am the one that ultimately decides. I am the one that has ultimate freedom. I am the one that has ultimate say. And I hope that you see verse 1 just says, that's not a biblical understanding of the will. That when we talk about the will, it does not mean that it's 51% to 49% and your will overcomes God's will. Because the answer belongs to the Lord. Okay, so, okay, alright, so free will doesn't mean I have ultimate determination. Well then, okay, how does my will fit with God's sovereignty? Now, I want to give you an illustration, and I hope it's imprinted in your mind, and I hope this works, okay? So these things can always go south. All right, uh, Jake already asked for your help. Um, Jake, come up. Nate, you've been the star of the show already. Lying? Um, I'm going to let you redeem yourself. So can you actually be on this side? Nate, I'm calling you out. Yes. Um, Jake, I need you on this side. Yep, okay. And Nate, you're going to join um, Jake, Nate and Jake, and uh, oh my goodness, yeah, I'm calling. Can I call you up, sweetheart? I'm calling up my wife. This is probably the first time she's been on stage in a long time. She despises it. Um, okay, so holding, holding that right there. Okay, uh, can you get a grip on that, Nate? You're not just a spectator. You're playing. Okay, can you get a good rap on that? All right. So here's here's what we have here. Can I get some tension? Don't hurt anybody. Okay, not trying to hurt anybody. There's some tension. So you can see I kind of stacked the deck. I, I love you, sweetheart, but I mean, look at Jake and Nate. Um, so you have this tension, right? 
And the word picture that we're getting in, in Proverbs 16 about the sovereignty of God and, and the will of, of, of man is that there is this tension. Um, Bruce Waltke is probably the, mo- the foremost scholar on the book of Proverbs. And, and he puts it this way. He says, this verse is speaking about the sovereign rule of God through human participation. Did you catch that? Through human participation. So what you have here is God's sovereignty and, and, and what you have here is human will. And now what we can do, so let's just talk about you and I and our will. You and I can do one of two things. We can go, well, <laughs> look at the other end of the rope. It's God. He's going to do what he's going to do. He determines the roll of the dice. I'm just going to drop this rope. I'm out. What, what use is my effort? What use is my choice? What use is my will? If God's going to do what he's going to do, if he's going to dictate the roll of the dice, why even hold on to the rope? Why even give tension? And so we can do that. Or, maybe more often, we go, let's really see how strong God's sovereignty is. And we like, maybe do this, this put the rope on our shoulder and start running the other way and, and yanking and pulling, never happily, yanking and pulling, oh no, my way. Yeah, yeah, you get into it, it's okay. <laughs> just, just don't let her, come on, all right? Just you're yanking and pulling and, and, and it's not like God is laughing by any means at all as much as he's going, okay, real cute, but you, you're kind of outmatched here and you just get worn out. When you try and pull and go, God, are you really that sovereign? Because I've got my will, I've got my desires, I've got my dreams, I've got my way. And you yank and pull. And just get worn out. Or you find a way to live in this tension that God is sovereign over absolutely everything. Yet calls you and I to participate and live in that tension. And, and maybe, and here's, here's the danger, guys. Every time you give a, an illustration or a metaphor of God, it's going to break down at some point, right? So give me some grace. But, but I wonder if the word picture is not just keeping this tension, but, but as we pull, we're not pulling against as much as we're pulling towards. Okay, God. All right. This is the way you want to do it? Okay. There you, thank you, sweetheart. Excellent work. So th- th- how about our, our assistants here? Excellent work. You can leave the rope on the ground, and you guys can um, practice this at home or something like that. Um, but, but that's really the word picture we get about our will. That we are not to have a will in which we just drop and go, all right, Lord, Whatever. Nor do we yank and pull and just try and do things our way. We are called to live in the tension. Now, how do you live in the tension? How do you live in this tension? And the rest of this passage, I think, points this out. Look at verse 2, first of all. It says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs 
the Spirit. Now, this is just another verse about how sovereign God is. And literally what it is saying is not only is God sovereign over your outward actions, but He is sovereign over your inward thoughts. This is why Jesus will look at the Pharisees and go, I know what you're thinking and you should not think that at all. Right? So God is completely sovereign. And there's a sense in which we read this and go, man, why do I even hold on to this rope? If God's going to do what he's going to do, if I can't hide anything from him, how do I live in this tension? And here's the rest of this verse, I I, I think, gives us a glimpse of that. Verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5, I'll read together. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now just stop there. I want you to see this. Commit your work. Everybody say your work. Everybody say my work. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So, okay, I want you to see it does not say forget about your plans. Just focus on God. Just worship God. Just sing a bunch of songs to God. No, no, no. It says commit your plans to God. At the very least, this verse is saying your plans matter to God. Your desires matter to God. Your dreams matter to God. They matter. Well, we shouldn't throw them by the wayside. Well, then, then what do we do with them? Here's, here's what we do. And here's what I think the rest of this passage does. It, 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 it does three things. It gives us clarity. It gives us courage. And it gives us confidence. In this, this tension. First of all, it gives us clarity. What, what do I mean by clarity? It gives us clarity on what it looks like to live in that tension. So, so how do we do it? Commit your work to the Lord. You want to know how you live in this tension between your will and God's sovereignty? Use your will to commit your work to the Lord. That, that's exactly what it means. Is Instead of letting go of the rope, oh, God's going to do what He's going to do. Instead of pulling on and go, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. We go, okay, God, I'm, going to, I'm just going to lay this before you. The Apostle Paul, he, he put it this way in Colossians 3.23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That is a perfect statement to describe what it means to commit your work to the Lord. And can you imagine? Imagine what your life would be like if you literally committed Every single thing to the Lord. What would it be like if you committed your marriage to the Lord? What, if you, what would it look like if you committed your work day to the Lord? What would it look like if you committed every single meeting you had to the Lord? 
What would it look like if you committed your children to the Lord? You committed every paycheck to the Lord. Or or let's just even go lower. You committed every workout to the Lord. Every meal to the Lord. Every chore to the Lord. You're like, come on, we're getting real stingy here. But can you seriously imagine how much joy and delight you would have if you literally committed every single thing to the Lord. Pretty sure it'd be hard to have some bad attitudes. Pretty sure your joy would just skyrocket. So what this passage, I think, teaches us is that one of the ways that we live in this tension of our will and God's sovereignty is that we don't waste our will. We commit our will and our work and our efforts to God. But here's what else it does. It ought to give you ridiculous courage. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, I didn't read verse 9. If you have your Bibles open, you can read it. It's a, it's, it's a very similar verse. It kind of adds more color to verse 3. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Here's the word picture. You are on this rope, and you know who's on the other side? God. God is on the other side, not yanking and pulling and trying to get you to fall flat on your face, though sometimes that might be needed, right? But His sovereignty is meant to draw you closer to Him. You better believe that. And here's how it ought to give you courage. That as you commit all that you have to the Lord, you can go, it is not me who establishes my plans, it's God. Here's the story I think of. Remember when Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, you see those, you know, 5,000 people, would you feed them? And the disciples look at each other and like, is he, is he talking to us? Jesus, were you talking to us? Yeah. Well, there's this boy, and I guess he's got five loaves of bread and, and three fish. And Jesus is, what was it? Jesus is like, yeah, that should, that should do. You know what's funny is in Matthew's gospel, the feeding the 5,000 happens. And it's like, oh, man, the disciples are like, that was amazing. And, and you know, a couple chapters later is, is the same exact scenario. And Jesus is like, I want to feed all of these people. And the disciples, who at this point, they know that Jesus is, well, they're learning that Jesus is sovereign. Or at least he's showed himself to be sovereign by feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And they see him as sovereign. And instead of being courageous and going, well, I know how sovereign my Jesus is. Yeah, let's feed these 7,000 people or these these 3,000 people. They again doubt. And they go, well, okay, where are we going to get all this food, Jesus? This tension should give you ridiculous courage. Because what's on the other end is God who is for you and not against you. 
We need to be reminded that we worship and follow a risen Savior who's conquered death, is alive, is at the right hand of God, on a throne, in heaven. Romans 8 says, interceding for you. And how often we're like, it's too hard, too tired, worn out. What dreams has God put on your heart that you've just said, no, it's just too much, God. And God's going, remember, I'm sovereign. What aspirations, what desires has God put on your heart that feel too out of reach? You worship a risen Savior who is for you and not against you, who has put His Spirit dwelling in you. And here we are going, it's just too hard. It's too hard. This is why I love the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It ought to give us ridiculous courage. What is God calling you to do that only He can do? I, guys, I, I think we all have an impact of life story behind us. And what I mean by that is you look at Cyrus. He just told you a glimpse of the story. You've got to hear the whole story sometime. He, he didn't get saved that long ago, seven, eight years ago. Shouldn't we all have these stories where people just go, how in the world did that happen? We just go, well, that's easy. My Savior is a risen Savior who intercedes for me. So the doctrine of God's sovereignty, it ought to give us tremendous courage. But listen, it ought to give us tremendous confidence too. Have you ever had that moment? I know you have. Where you wanted so, something so bad. Maybe it was someone you wanted a date with. Maybe it was someone you wanted to marry. Maybe it was a job that you desired. Maybe it was a move you wanted to make. You wanted it more than anything. You prayed with all your heart, with all your might. Maybe you even you fasted and God said no. And three weeks go by. And God gives you the grace of seeing that that would have been a disaster. And you sit there and go, oh, okay, God, thanks for saying no to that one. All right, okay. God was sovereign in that. But here's the problem. Here's the struggle. 99 times out of 100, when God says no to the things that we want and we desire, we won't see on this side of eternity how it was actually for our good. And the doctrine of God's sovereignty says that on the other side of this rope is a God who is for you, is a God who loves you so deeply, so desperately, that He sent His Son to be murdered on a cross for you to save you from your sins, to invite you to become a child of the living God. And that when He says no to that prayer that you prayed, or when the bad news of cancer, or when that heartache of a child walking away from the Lord, or when that trial comes that you're just like, Lord, I'm done! The doctrine of God's sovereignty reminds us 
that we can have confidence that even in the storm, we have an anchor that's not going to move us. We have a risen Savior that will lead us through. And that's what I love about verse 4 and verse 5. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. Everything for its purpose. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. There's this passage in Acts chapter 4 where the apostles are praying and they say, God, you ordained that those wicked men, Pilate and Herod, you ordained those wicked men to put Jesus to death for our salvation. You are sovereign even over wickedness. You are sovereign over absolutely everything. And it should give us incredible confidence when the dark night of the soul comes. When the trial comes. Because when the trial comes, when the cancer comes, when you suffer a miscarriage, when you lose your job, when you're depressed, when, just fill in the blank with the deepest, darkest, most difficult season of your life that you have or might or will experience, that when that happens, God has not let go of the rope. He is still sovereign. He is still for you. And He will use it for good. This, this is the wisdom of God. You cannot be a wise person without living in this tension. And so, I want to end by just asking two questions a little bit different. One has to do with courage and one has to do with confidence. What is God calling you to do that only God can do? I wonder if some of you have, have just chosen the path of least resistance in your life rather than committing everything to the Lord and living a really risky life and just putting it on the line for the sake of the gospel. So are some of you taking the path of least resistance? What is God calling you to do that only God in His sovereignty can do? And on the other, maybe other end of the spectrum is what trial does God have you in right now that you're sick of and you need to now trust Him in? A lot of times the way, the way that God leads us is not always the way we want to go, but it's the way we need to go. So what, what trial are you in that you're tired of, that you're worn out with, that God is saying, lean into my sovereignty. Be faithful. Commit your work to me. And let me do what I do best. 
Let me pray. Father, I, I praise you from the bottom of my heart for your sovereignty. I praise you from the bottom of my heart that, that with all the power you have, it is, it is filled with love. Lord, would you speak to us? Speak to those who are taking the path of least resistance and maybe have let some slack in the rope and they're not doing everything and are not committing their ways to the Lord as much as they're just taking the path of least resistance. Lord, that they would lean into you. And Lord, those, of, those who are suffering, who are hurting, going through a trial, a tribulation, they're tired, they're worn out. Would you remind them that you are on the other end of the rope and you love them? And that you're holding on to them. And that you are trustworthy. And would you give them the grace to just bask in those promises. Speak to us in this time of worship.